Father, well, we thank you. You're the creator of the universe. You've, you've flung stars into space, and yet you have a very personal concern about each of your children. And so we pray now that as we think into the way that you made us and you designed us, would you help us to hear you speak? Uh, we, we desperately want to hear you speak on this. And so, Holy Spirit, come now and teach us and inform us. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Yeah, I'm, I'm very mindful. If uh, you're new, to, if this is your first night at Salt Church, um, we believe God's brought you here tonight. Uh, if that's the first time you've ever heard that part of the Bible read, or even if it's a few years since you as a Christian, maybe a long-term Christian, have thought about maleness and femaleness, I imagine in today's context, that could have sounded like hate speech. And so please hang in there as we work through. Uh, a, a huge part of the reason why these verses, for some, sound like hate speech today is because they sound oppressive to women. They do. Uh, and so let me say up front, the evil, the evil of oppression is something that we can all agree on. We can. If we are going to believe in a God, he better be righteous, he better be good. Otherwise, it would be pretty frightening, wouldn't it? The Apostle Paul, who first wrote these words 2,000 years ago, I think he realised, or at least the Holy Spirit definitely realised, these words could be used to oppress women. And so the Apostle Paul carefully wrote his words he realised that the principle contained in these words, in the wrong hands, can be used to oppress women. And there's actually a couple of verses that address that, and we'll get to them. And so if you're sitting there thinking, these words sound oppressive to women, I want to suggest it's well worth you hanging in there and listening. We might, we might disagree as we come to the end, and, and so let's, let's have some dialogue, Let, let's talk to each other. But Christians believe these words are from our loving Heavenly Father. He's a loving Father. I like the way, um, was it Jordan? And when he talked about the loving, like he had all these actions. I was thinking, I've got to memorise those. <laughs> um, he's a loving Father. He's also described himself in the Scriptures as a mother hen who gathers and protects her, her chicks. God loves us as he gives us these words. God is not a God of oppression. And so here's what we're going to do. I'm, we're, we're actually going to work through the verses sentence by sentence. Have your Bible open. I think what Christians often do when we disagree over some things is uh, we put the Bible to the side and then we just talk about the issue. And so first up, we're going to work through the sentences, sentence by sentence. I'll go as quick as I can. Uh, some questions still might be there for you. But then to come back after we've gone through the verses and explain I want to explain why Christians think, I think, God's design for men and women is a beautiful dance. It's not an oppression. It's a beautiful dance. Because as we work through these verses, I believe they are teaching headship and authority. But there is a beautiful dance that God has designed us for. So you ready? You've got a Bible open. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2. I praise you for remembering me in everything and for holding to the 
the traditions just as I pass them on to you. Remember, Paul wrote this letter to the Corinthian church. Uh, Part of what Paul was doing was responding to a letter that the church had written to him. And they had some questions. And so for the last, what, three weeks, we've been looking at chapters 8, chapter 9, chapter 10, all instigated by this question, can Christians eat meat offered to idols? And Paul turned that one question into a big section, three chapters, which I think the heading over those three chapters is Christians must submit their rights to Jesus's mission. And so he's finished on that question about meat offered to idols and and submitting our rights, doing everything you can to win people because it's all about Jesus's mission. And now he's shifting attention. Now, I've got lots to commend you Corinthians for when it comes to the traditions of the church. I, I think what's going on is chapters 11, 12, 13, 14 are the church gathered. And he's got some things to now say about when Christians gather together, uh, verses 3 to 16 of chapter 11, about women praying and prophesying. Then in verses 17 to the end of chapter 11, about the Lord's Supper when we come together. And then chapters 12, 13 and 14, when Christians gather together and using their gifts together. There's a bit of context. Then verse 3 is like a heading over what we're looking at tonight. But I want you to realise that the head of every man is Christ. The head over humanity is Jesus. He's King of Kings. He's Lord of Lords. That use of man is humanity, I believe. Uh, Head of every man is Christ. And the head of every woman is man. And the head of Christ is God. Now, If you've been a Christian for a while, you you might have known in the last 40, 50 years, uh, some Christians have wanted to say, head here is not actually about leadership. Uh, And so you might have heard the word source thrown in. I won't do this all night, don't worry. This this has been a biggie in some Christian circles for a while. And so you know how in, in English we talk about the head of state and you naturally think about the, the leader at that point. That's a natural way of hearing head. Uh, There's also a head of a river. The source of the river starts up the top. And so in the middle of the 20th century, Christians got a little uncomfortable with thinking about headship and authority in the church. And so they started to use the word source instead of head. Uh, Now that debate's been gone on for the last 40 years and I think virtually every dictionary that goes back to what the original word head means has authority, head over, head of state. Uh, SCAS at the moment, St Columbus School, I've seen they're running an ad for the head of secondary, the one who's going to be the, the leader over secondary school. Okay, there's a little aside to say, oh, we're up against it, aren't we? Verse 3 is talking about headship. It's talking about leadership. The the head of everyone is Christ. When it comes to male and female, there's something in here about the headship of man over a woman. When it comes to the Godhead, Father, Son and Spirit, God the Father is head of Christ. So we're up against it because the modern world does not believe that two people can be equal but one of them can have authority or a headship. 
that just doesn't sit well with 21st century Western thinking. But is that true? Is it impossible for two people to be equal but one to have headship over the other? And as Christians, we've definitely got to grapple with this concept because if we want to throw out any concept of headship whatsoever, we might just have to give up the Christian faith. Did you see that at the end of verse 3? The head of Christ is God. There's a headship somehow within the Trinity, within God. Christians believe absolutely Jesus is equal with God. Uh, some... Uh, and sorry again if I'm being really offensive, this is your first time here, but Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, they're not a Christian faith because they don't believe Jesus is equal with God the Father. Christians do. that We believe the Bible teaches Father, Son, Holy Spirit equal. And yet, verse 3 also teaches the head of Christ is God. Are you with me so far? God the Father sent the Son. Jesus willingly went and obeyed. In a few weeks, we're going to get to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And and when Jesus returns and wraps everything up, he's going to hand all the rule and leadership back to God so that God the Father can be all in all. Father, Son, equal in worth, in dignity, in, in identity, in essence, and yet different in function. So... Today, the modern West is pathologically averse to any discussion about leadership. Have you noticed that? I mean, we live with it. The principal of the school is the head of the school. Uh, There is a a head of the police department. We we actually live with it, but we don't want to talk about it. We we don't want to talk about leadership. We don't want to talk about headship. And so verse 3 is hard for us to think into, but, but hang in, because we have this glimmer of hope. The headship being discussed here is one that Jesus is very happy with. Okay? Let's keep going. That was, boy, I will speed up now. That was only two verses, wasn't it? Let's keep going. Verse 4. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It is the same as having, having her head shaved. So if a woman does not cover her head, she might as well have had her hair cut off. But if it is a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut off, uh, uh, cut off or her head shaved, then she should cover her head. And as 21st century, we probably do have a bit of a giggle. And partly because we just don't, we weren't there, were we? Uh, what is actually being talked about? Well, straight up, first of all, remember Paul commended the Corinthians for holding the traditions in the church. Hey, when you gather together, good on you, thumbs up, women and men are praying and prophesying. That's tops. That's good. I've got things to commend you for when you gather. But I've heard that when the women are up praying and prophesying, their heads are not covered. We're not sure exactly what that means. Most likely it was a veil of some sort, but but it also seems to be talking about hair length as well. So in the first century, in Corinth, in the first century, 
there was an understanding of the way women had their hair and the way men had their hair. And there were women in the Corinthian church not wearing their hair like a woman. Is this sort of making sense? You may not agree with me, but you're following along. Okay. Um, Now, we don't know exactly what those head coverings were. We don't know exactly what the hair length was. But Paul seems to be saying something like, okay, well, ladies, if if you're not actually wearing the head covering like a woman, you're wearing your hair more like a man when it comes to head head coverings, why don't you just go and cut your hair really short like a man as well? And again, that pushes into our 21st sensibilities because we're thinking we just don't distinguish between men and women about hair length anymore, do we? So the only reason I cut my hair short is not because of this verse. I just like the feel. It's actually long. It's been a week since I've cut it. It's long. Uh, But in the first century, there was something about hair length in veils that distinguished men and women there would be something very weird if I was preaching tonight in a long flowing dress, wouldn't there? Now again, maybe not in Fiji, and it was a sarong, but here in Lake Cadai, Steve Kovitz preaching in a long flowing dress, you'd be like, that's just pushing up against what it is to be man and a woman. I think that is exactly what is going on in these verses. There was a first century understanding of what it was to be a man and a woman and the women, there were some women, sorry, praying and prophesying without their heads covered. Okay, now I've just got to follow where I'm up to. So even in our culture, where clothes and hair are not clear concrete boundary markers of maleness and femaleness, we still do have concrete boundary markers today. Now, I know some people who disagree with me within the church on what I just said want to say, well, how come you want to still talk about the principle of male and female but not the head covering? For the exact same reason why when we go out and tell people about Jesus, we don't wear a first century toga. So, you know, in the Gospels when Jesus sent the disciples out, when you go out, Jesus told them, don't take two tunics with you, just wear your one tunic. We don't read that and go, oh, I've got to wear a toga. I've got to wear a first century tunic and go tell people about Jesus. We read it and go, no, no, I've just got to tell people about Jesus without the tunic. We read 1 Corinthians 11, or at least I do, is uh, there is a difference between men and women that should be appropriately culturally addressed, but women, men, pray and prophesy in church. Okay. Now, well, let's keep reading verse 7. A man ought not to cover his head. So he's still teaching this point. Since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. Now that really, on first reading, just might sound like a man is more important than a woman. Man is the glory of God. Woman is just the glory of man. The word just isn't there though, is it? But we might read it like that. But here's what I think is going on. Paul is taking the principle of headship and showing us how it sits back in Genesis. God created the world. He created man and woman in his image. And then we get Genesis 2 where we actually get a little look into it and we see that God created Adam first 
And what we know about humanity is that the pinnacle of God's creation is humanity. It's not the stars, it's not the universe, it's actually human beings. So the glory of God is man, because Genesis 2, Paul's taking us back to Genesis, he created Adam first. But do you remember that the only time in the creation account when God said something was not good is that Adam was alone. And so in the creation story, the glory of God is man. But there is something not good here. Adam's alone. And so now God creates Eve, the glory of man. I think verse 7 might actually be saying... In a sense, woman is actually more glorious than man, not less glorious. Paul was taking us back to the way Adam and Eve and their order of creation. Because he keeps on going on with that, the order of creation. Verse 8, for man did not come from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. It is for this reason that a woman ought to have authority over her own head, Because of the angels. Now that's clear, so I'll just skip right over it. There's just, there is no agreement about what the angels are and why did Paul slip it in. Here's my best guess. Is, yeah, there, there isn't, God's deliberate in his design. And his deliberateness is good. His design's really good. The angels get it. They're just angels. But they glory in just being angels. We look in and go, oh, they're just angels. No, 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 no. The angels are like, we're angels. We're made and designed to worship and glorify God. And so men and women, get on with being men and women, equal but different, all to the glory of God. Just like the angels. They get it. I think that's what's going on, but I'm not real confident because nobody agrees. What are the angels doing here? It's crazy. Now, I think this is where it's recognised that even it's possible for some men particularly to grab this teaching and abuse it. So we've got verse 11 and 12. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as woman came from man, yeah, Eve did come from Adam, so also man is born of woman. Every man since has been born of a woman. And everything, but everything, comes from God. Actually, I need to keep reading, finish off the passage. Judge for yourselves, is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not the very nature of things teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a disgrace to him, but that if a woman has long hair, it is her glory, for long hair is given to her as a covering? If anyone wants to be contentious about this, we have no other practice, nor do the churches of God. I think if we lived in the first century, we would just get it. If I had my hair at a certain length, it just looked feminine, and you'd all be sitting there going, what? That's just weird. Whereas today, we just don't do that, because men and women have all sorts of different hair lengths. But I'm sure that if I was preaching in front of you in a long flowing dress, you'd be thinking, Steve needs some long service leave. (laughs) The the very nature says men and women are different. Now, if I was preaching this two years ago, I think, I could probably just keep going, but in 2019, I, I probably need to say, 
if, if you're struggling with your sense of gender identity, we want to be a church where we'll get alongside you and talk through all of that. But we do have a strong belief in a God who's designed us and there is something very good about his design. But, but we also get that we all struggle with our identity in all sorts of ways. And in the 21st century where gender dysphoria is a big thing, don't we want to be a church that, that steps into that space with God's design but loves people well? I wouldn't have had to say that two years ago. I think I need to say it today. And then I'm going to come back to keep going with God's design. Okay. So even though verse 3 says the big theological principle is headship, I think the big expression of these verses is there is something very, very good about God's design of male and female. And so Christians, children of God, embrace those differences and enjoy the dance that God has designed. Because when we push those differences aside and we ignore those differences, we actually hurt each other. I don't think this passage is about headship in isolation. It's about the church being a living, breathing example of God's better story for men and women. So you and I should be sceptical when it comes to headship and authority and, and hierarchy. I mean, just spend 30 seconds thinking about domestic violence, despotic dictatorship. Generally speaking, generally speaking, men are physically stronger than women. And so we should think carefully into any institution, into any organisation that speaks of the headship of males over females. We need to carefully look into this. And at this point in the sermon, I, I want to just start a whole sermon series now. Genesis 1, Genesis 2, Genesis 3, uh, some other parts of the Bible uh, that, that go and explore deeply about God's design. Uh, another little series on God's design of, of what actually leadership is, what authority is for. But my guess is you don't want me to preach for four or five hours right now. You'll get, you'll get hungry, won't you? So let, let, let me just do the quick flyover. Uh, Genesis, um, God made humanity, God made humanity in his image. Humanity in his image. Male and female, female and male in his image. There is no superior inferior Men, women, women, men. That, that's Genesis chapter 1. Male and female. We, we're created in his image and we are exalted above the rest of creation. We're, we're the pinnacle of God's creation. Male and female. Equal in worth, in dignity, in absolute essence. That's Genesis 1. And then in Genesis 2, we read that God also created male and female different. And that is what Genesis, 1 Corinthians 11 was alluding to. That, that Paul just quickly went through it, but he's saying, I think what he's saying is, don't you remember I taught you all of that? Just remember, there is a difference between men and women. God made Eve to help Adam. And the implication of that is that males have a primary role of headship and females have a primary role of helping that headship. 
Now, that's where God's gender agenda and the modern Western gender agenda clash. And I think as Christians, we should empathise with some of that clashing because of Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis 3, we discover that Adam and Eve decided they knew better than God, not simply about gender, but about everything. Genesis chapter 3 is where we discover why the world is so messed up. God didn't mess it up, we did. We thought we knew better than God. In chapter 3, we read about humanity's rebellion and God's verdict on that rebellion. God's part of God's verdict on our rebellion is what God said to Eve in Genesis chapter 3:16. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Remember that for a sec. God looked in on Adam and Eve's rebellion and then gave some curses. I don't think the curses are oh now I'm magically going to do something against you. It was God saying you're not going to follow my design. This is how it's going to play out. Wives, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Hold that thought for a second. Today, as well as not liking to talk about authority and leadership, we don't like to talk about the differences between the genders. Anyone going to trivia tonight? I dare you at your table say, so what do you think are the differences between men and women? We... We just don't want to have that conversation. We recognise they're there. I'm not going to go buy my sports gear from Lorna Jane. (laughs) The the malls still have women's clothing stores. I know the academic world at the moment is trying to say that gender is going to go the way of the dodo. I know the next 10 to 20 years is going to be interesting around this topic... But I think most of us still recognise there's differences that go beyond plumbing. One of the ways these differences between men and women have been defined is that, generally speaking, women tend to see themselves as succeeding in life when they're involved with other people. Men, generally speaking, see personal success through self-reliance. The sociologists... non-Christian sociologists, they describe these differences between men and women as women tend toward interdependence, men tend towards independence. Now, let's assume there is something in that. Let's just assume there is maybe something in a God design about interdependence and independence. And then put Genesis 3.16. Wives... Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. What is a strength in women? Interdependence becomes, with sin, a big weakness, dependence. I need a man. My desire is for a man. And, and then society comes in and goes, and you're, you're nothing on your own. You could never be a leader. And so what was meant to be beautiful, interdependence, then gets pushed to its extreme, dependence. And then, I think the sin is actually more obvious for the male, isn't it? Independence becomes tyranny and autonomy and and, and no accountability. Therefore, because of sin, 
we have every right to be fearful of oppression when we talk about male headship. But does that make male headship wrong? No. It makes sin wrong. It makes dependence at one end wrong. It makes tyranny at the other end wrong. And so I think God has given us two places where we can express and come together and live out the beautiful dance of male and female. It's actually one place with two expressions. The family. The marriage family and the church family. We can play to each other's strengths. In marriage and in church, men are to lead and women are to help that leadership. And I get this still raises lots of questions. But I'm just going to finish on one because it's the one I've been harping on all night, isn't it? What about oppression? There's still this... What, isn't any concept of headship and authority corrupt? No. You might want to come with me. You might just want to listen. Matthew chapter 20. I'll read from verse 20. Then the mother of Zebedee's son. So this is Jesus. He's got his 12 disciples. Two of the disciples have a mother that comes to speak to Jesus. I used to always love it when my mum went up to the school to tell the teacher how, she, how they needed to do a better job with me. Anyway, here's... Here's a mother. Uh, then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked a favour of him. What is it you want, he asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my father. We're talking about greatness. We're talking about authority. We're talking about leadership. The seat at the right hand was the seat of power. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers... Okay, so, you know, the leaders, those who have authority of the Gentiles, lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. No. Every concept of authority is not oppressive. Here is a beautiful, amazing picture of leadership and authority. It's the servant. It's the slave. And do you remember the, the picture that Jesus gave us? I'm going to embarrass a couple of people right now, but he, he came down and he washed the disciples' feet. That is not an image of oppression. Jesus, the King of Kings, disrobed and washed his disciples' feet as the King of Kings and the leader of leaders. And so no, not every picture of headship and authority is oppression. And so in finishing, 
If there is anyone in this room, if there's anyone that's part of this church family, if there's anyone you know, I don't know what to do if they're not part of this church family and what we do about it, except help, like step in and help, but definitely in this church family, if there is anyone that has been oppressed by men who have grabbed these words and are abusing them, we want to help you. Because Jesus got down and used his power and authority to serve and to be a slave. Go home and I, I, I have gone too long. I knew I was going to go too long. I should have given you a warning, but I didn't know how to do this one short. But go home and read Philippians 2. Jesus, who left the glory of heaven to come and serve, is now called the great one. Amen. 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 All right. You might have some questions. Uh, we want to run over. Um, I, I think we need to keep working on this for a long, long time. God's better story is beautiful and our society needs to see it lived, not just hear it spoken. I'm going to pray. Then we're going to go over to the cola over there and eat some food together. Let's pray. Oh, Father, you are good and glorious in every way imaginable. We, we are sorry for the way that we take these bodies and this humanity that you've given us and designed us for and, and, and we actually ignore you or we, we just muck it up. Father, forgive us and would you help us to keep using what you have given us, everything that you've given us for your glory. We want to line up with your design and so we do thank you that we're created in your image, that we're created male and female. Would you help us in our church family and in our home families, to live in a way that pleases you and glorifies you. In the name of Jesus. Amen.